This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Ross Kemp. Over the last 18 years, I've made some 90-odd documentaries predominantly in hostile environments, from Afghanistan to Syria, from El Salvador to the Congo. And it's fair to say that during that time, I found myself in a few interesting situations. I've been shot at, tear gassed, had knives pulled on me and spears thrown at me. But in all those years, what's impressed me the most is the resilience of the human spirit. Our ability, no matter where we're from, to overcome and make it through to the other side. So, in my new series, The Kempcast, I'll be talking to some incredible individuals who all have engaging stories to tell and have themselves overcome some extremely tough moments in their lives. Right now, we're living in unprecedented times and we should be doing all we can together to get through this as safely as possible. I hope that if you subscribe to The Kempcast and hear how my guests overcame their toughest moments, it may help you overcome yours, whether you're going through one right now or you're faced with one in the future. Joining me today is a personal friend, stunt actor Olivia Jackson. Not only has she been an international model, she's studied with Buddhist monks, she's been a pro Thai boxer and a top Hollywood stunt actor appearing in movies such as Mad Max, Fury Road, Guardians of the Galaxy, The Avengers and many more. Now, she made global headlines in 2015 when an accident on set during a stunt went dreadfully wrong, putting her in a coma for weeks, causing her multiple injuries which left her with an amputated arm. Her spirit is incredible. She is quite an amazing human being, and I hope you enjoy listening to her. So, Olivia Jackson, I know you, but I don't know you. I've realised <laughs> because I've, you know, I've read uh, some of the things that they're on your biography and I had no idea of the journey that your life has taken. Quite exceptional, but we do know each other from Genesis Martial Arts Gym. Yep. Um, you train with Paul Busby, uh, who is a good friend to both of us, I guess. Um, one of the things that you do is your skipping, which <laughs> stands you out a bit, doesn't it? Because you've got a bar with ropes that link and you skip one-handed like that, don't you? Yeah, my husband, Dave, he actually found it on Instagram. 
there's a couple people with one arms from America, and they I don't, they have like there's a big gym there. I've forgotten what it's called, but it's for disabled people. Right. Um, and they actually make them there. I think or one guy makes them. My husband saw it on Instagram, so he bought it from America. You're pretty good. You're a pretty good um, kicker, aren't you? As well, when you uh, your roundhouse goes higher, considerably higher than my roundhouse. In <laughs> fact, it goes over your head. Yeah. You are very flex- flexible. But I don't have much power left anymore. I don't know. I've seen you lose. At least temp- kickboxing, you only have to fight the air most of the time. No, we'll get to you and your boxing <laughs> career in a minute. Um, but you are uh, an incredibly focused individual, aren't you? Like when you see me at a training session, the amount of mental strain it takes me to get through a session because all the twisting and my spine is so twisted itself and my neck is paralyzed well this whole left hand side of my top half of my body is paralyzed so the amount of discomfort i get when i train Mm. is horrible i used to have to go to a training session then i would have to lie down for three hours because i couldn't move it's got better now but but a lot of people would say, why train then? Because if I didn't, I'd get worse and worse and worse. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's a need to, but also that 100% It doesn't mean you. it's easy. Yeah. No. no. So you, you, you're you born in South Africa? Yep. Just outside Johannesburg, is that right? Uh, Kempton Park. But I don't remember being there. I moved. We moved to an area called Natal, a province, yeah. um, when I was a baby, I think. So you grow up, well, on a farm, don't you? Uh, yeah, I grew up on a farm. I love farms. It's mm-hmm. amazing. A really cool life uh, lifestyle there. Um, I'm with well, three or three of us girls, so I got two sisters. I'm the middle, and we just used to, you know, it's, I thought it was a massive farm, but my mom says it was a small holding. We had this big forest on the hill. I used to go up every day into the forest and create stories, all with our dogs and everything. And the other day, I said to my mom, I was like, "How did you let us?" go up into the forest all on our own so far. And she's like, no, nah, I could see you from the kitchen window. Mm. You know when you're small, everything's you so, so much bigger, right? Yeah. But we had this massive rockery with ferns and uh, streams and ponds and tadpoles in there and all sorts of things. We used to play in there all day, like, say, this is my classroom and I'm the teacher and all that shit. Yeah. And um, make swings out of vines hanging from the trees and, and make little boats and race them down the down the streams and jump in the pond and we had a big swimming pool we used to after a while my dad stopped flying as a pilot and he had to be at home with the family he made he's really into plants he still has a nursery now so he started a nursery on the farm and so yeah these massive rolls of really thick plastic there's lots of banks on our farm so we used to take these rolls of plastic roll them out really long take a bottle of um dishwashing liquid Squirted all over the plastic. This is and taking- put a hose pipe on it <laughs> right, and on. make a homemade slippery slide. I don't know. We didn't kill ourselves. We used to bolt. What, 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 what were you were using as a sled then? Just you? Just your bodies? Yeah. Don't you know what a slippery slide is? No. Nah. We call it a flippy slide. A slippery slide. Basically- so, so basically, you're unrolling like industrial plastic down. How? Yeah. How? What size of hill? I can't remember because. It's well, ever said like, that, ever said you It's probably that like 50 meters or something. 50 meters? Or 30 meters, I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, you got used to, I mean, what I'm saying is, even at an early age, you sort of grew up getting dirty. Yeah. And also doing risky stuff, right? Yeah. So, there you are. You go to school. Your mum and dad have split up. Yeah. Um, there was pressure on you 
to become a model before you even left school, wasn't it? Oh, well, I was asked. I did um, a fashion show. My last two years of school, I went to a very good private school, private girls' school. I got oh, help right. to go to that school. All oh, right. I was very clever, not that I've used my brain, but anyway. I'd, I'd argue <laughs> that point because I know, I know a little bit about you now, a lot more than, than I used to know. <laughs> Um, go on. So, so you got. So you actually you, you got into that school because of a scholarship, effectively, right? Um, yeah, well, it was a private scholarship. Yeah, I think my grandmother paid for pretty much most of it, no. but my mum wanted to send us to a good school, which is important there. Mm. Um, so she, poor thing, just worked like her ass off to try and get us through school and everything. Um, so, so where was your dad at this point? I have to ask this question. Uh, he was living, I think, where he lives now. Well, he's been there for 25 years. Are you still close? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'll see him next month, I think. I'm going there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. There you go. The, going back to the modeling. So there you are and you do a model show. Yeah. But how old are you at that point? I think I was 16. So Or 17. Which isn't effectively that young for a model, as no. we know. No. But now – but. Well, remember, I live in the middle of nowhere at this point. Mm-hmm. It's nowhere anywhere near a city or anything. Um, so it's like in a farming area. Um, and the, because it was a quite well-to-do school, the boys' school, they had all these, you know, posh people <laughs> helping out. Like they had some top model coming to teach us how to catwalk and all that. Um, so the, that model, I can't remember her name now. I think her name was Jody something. Yeah. Um, she said to me, I'll, I'll do well at modeling. But my mother said that I, I can't do it. I have to finish school before I do something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I finished school, I saw lots of my friends going off to study things and then stop studying and just waste money. They were all come from rich families, so it doesn't really matter. But I thought, I'm not going to do that. I didn't know what I want to do because who knows what they want to do when they're 18. Um, so I thought, uh, I think I'll just start modeling now and take some time doing that. Um, and then they they sent me to Cape Town to model, um, which is obviously it's the biggest industry there in, mm. in South Africa. Yeah, you've got the beach, you've got the mountains, and oh, you've got the weather, right? Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous place. Yeah, not it's hard end, to move. Not there if you end up in Portsmore Prison. No, it's not so gorgeous. No. But having said that, I always what found of surprising about Portsmore Prison was, despite what was happening inside it, it was surrounded by a golf course and. Um, a vinery, you know, not vinery, you know, a, base, uh, a vineyard. Yeah. That had very nice wine in it, actually. <laughs> um, so there you are. You've got a successful modeling career, right, going. Why do you want to go and live with Buddhist monks? Well, that have started when I was in school. I, th- I can't remember, in the late 90s. When the um, film Seven Years in Tibet came out. Brad Pitt. With Brad Pitt, yep. And congratulations on your Oscar, sir. Long overdue. Oh, yeah. He mentioned about stunt performers as well, I hear, from a million stunt performers. Did he? Good for him. Yeah. He said they need to start to need to be able, they need to start being recognized in the Oscars. 100%. They need to be start to be recognised and looked after a hundred percent. But we'll get yeah. to get to that. We'll Come, let's 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 talk about Buddhist monks first. Yeah. So when I was in school, I watched. This, I'd I'd never heard of Tibetans or anything, but I had a strange fascination with Asia since I was small. I remember I used to find Chinese writing or Japanese writing, 
and then draw it myself and then cut it out and I used to have it all stuck on my wall didn't know what it meant but anyway I had this thing for Asia since I was young and then I'm watching the movie and I watch the scene where Brad Pitt gets to Tibet to Lhasa and there's all the Tibetan trumpets mm -hmm. and and you see the monks and the Dalai Lama when you're they're rather big long things aren't yeah, they yeah they're amazing I love yeah, them yeah. Um, and something in that just resonated so fucking deeply with me. Mm. And I thought, my God, that's amazing. I, I want to go there. When I grow up, I'm going to go there. So it was always my thing to go there. That was my dream. Um, and then I started, Google was pretty slim at that time. So I used to go, when I moved to Cape Town modeling, I used to go down to the local library. And then I started studying Tibetan Buddhism. And then, um, luckily, modeling, you know, you have some tough times and you have some really good jobs. So, so you got some money? Yeah. I decided, okay, I'm going to save. I thought I'm, I'll take two years off modeling and just go to India. So I found out they don't live in Tibet anymore because China invaded them and killed them off or chased them out. Yeah. Uh, so they live in India. What part of India? Um, two parts, mainly in McLeod Ganj, right in the north of India, yep. in Himalaya. Himachal Pradesh, however you say that. Mm -hmm. Dalai Lama lives there. Towards um, Himalayas, I guess, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Foothills. Yeah. And then there's a massive, massive monasteries in the very south. Don't know why there, but um, so there's quite a few um, monks there and communities that live there. I traveled around with my sister three months, and then I went there, and then I went down. It's a little walk down the hill. Went there and said, can I stay here? Um it's a monastery, so it's just males. So you obviously stay a little bit separate. And, and what's the format? So what, what do they do? Well, they study like in this sect of Tibetan Buddhism, it's called Galuka. It's a lot of philosophy. So some sects, sects, not sects, some sects. Yeah. Can't say it now. Sects. Yeah. <laughs> some of them have a lot of meditation. This sect has a lot of uh, studying, philosophy. So you actually have a PhD, which takes like 20 years. It's full on. I, I like studying a lot of that as well. Mm. Um, but I just did my own thing. I did my own. There's lots of places you can meditate there. This mm. place called Tushita. It's a little bit up the hill. They have lots of meditation retreats going on and uh, teachings. I love going to teachings. What about conversing? <laughs> How did you communicate? Uh, they can speak English. They're quite yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. What was the goal for you? What was the point in doing it? Oh, you said you wanted to do it from a early age, but what was the point? Were you seeking enlightenment or no, you did, know, you need I, it? did you need it? With the understanding that I have now of Buddhism, if I think back to then, what I have of it, I, I actually knew nothing. I thought I knew lots, but I didn't really truly understand it. Mm. But I still had this deep faith in it, just, just a love, just a, like a passion. And, you, and that, still exists, an that still exists inside you? Yeah, it's even bigger now because I understand it more. How much has that helped you? And we are going to get there, but how much has that helped you with, you know, with the recovery? Oh, in a huge, huge way. Massive because, like, I remember lying in hospital when you're in so much pain, like your life's changed. You think to yourself, my life's fucked. My life's over. I don't, you know, I don't want to have a sedentary life. I can't do stunts anymore. Can't box anymore. Can't model anymore. Like your face is just cut to pieces. You know, your half, quarter of your body's paralyzed and you're just lying like 
withering in pain and neuropathic pain and, and musculoskeletal pain. The amount of inner strength that you have to go through for, to mm. do that is huge. And that's where I think Buddhism played a massive part because it allows you to, you can't take away the pain and you can't take away, but you can change the suffering from the pain. So you can just allow yourself to be in that moment without without suffering as much, without yeah, yeah. letting it change you so much. Do you still meditate? Yeah, every day, pretty much. How long? I can't. When I'm being good, an hour. When I'm not being good, half an hour. Yeah. Yeah, it goes up and down, but I aim for an hour each time. Okay. We haven't talked about my Muay Thai okay, let's go career. There. Let's go. But that started some years ago from modeling. When I was modeling. Go on. So, so you're about went, modeling. Yeah. Let's, let's divert from India and Buddhism <laughs> and let's go back to modeling. Let's go to. I drift a lot, Muay so you have to keep Thai boxing, right? Yeah. One of the toughest <laughs> uh, forms of martial arts. I mean, I know yeah. people that it's used to do brutal. it. They used to just, the legs, they used to stand there and hit their legs, rub them with oil and then hit them, bash them basically with bits of wood, right? Yeah. To toughen them up. Yeah. Or kicking the pads in each other's shins will get you there. Yeah, I used yeah. to have massive, like, felt like leather, thick. Thickness and I couldn't feel my shin bones for many years. It just gets really tough. You now, now they're pathetic. Now they just like skin effectively what kicking bits of wood basically, yeah, to toughen up. Yeah, and also just shin the pads. Bones. The pads, pads are, are rock so hard. hard yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're representative of of bone and and muscle, right? Yeah. Um, I got into which is quite funny. Sorry, drink the water. Mm-hmm. I got into, um, <clears throat> I was probably a little dep- depressed and I got into eating Nutella. Now, Nutella. As in chocolate. Yeah. As in like a big tub yeah. of chocolate. So we don't really have that in Africa. So I found it and I was like, oh God, this is nice. You, you become a Nutella junkie. <laughs> yeah. I just buy tubs at a time and sit in my room oh, yeah. all alone and munch it away. And I was sitting at a casting and some girl, some model, was telling me about, um, she started this kickboxing. Um, at this gym down the road. So I was like, oh, I'll come do that. I heard that's good for weight loss. So off I went, did off to kickboxing place. It wasn't kickboxing, it was Muay Thai. Didn't know what the difference was, but I just went there and then it started off me started me off really slowly, obviously. But I absolutely fell in love with it from the start. Um so I started training more and more and eventually I was training every day and after two years of training like every day, almost twice a day sometimes, I decided I wanted to start competing in the amateur league. Uh, so I had This two, is in South Africa? Yes, in South Africa. So I had one amateur fight, which was amazing. I won that, didn't get hurt, nothing. But now you're talking, you know, headgear, chest guard, elbow guards, knee guards, shin pads, mm. gum shield. Like you just can't even see or move or anything. Mm. Um, won that one. That was great. And then I got set up for another one. There was no one for me to fight. So I ended up fighting girls a bit heavier than me. I lost really badly. Did you? Yeah. Um, ended up with a... I think they stopped the fight, as far as I remember. Because smashed to the nose, blood flying through the air. My family having a heart attack in the crowd. Really? Um, and then... Uh, so I'm laughing because it's just like <laughs> it's the way you're, my blood going through there. <laughs> yeah. If I find something I love, I'll do it 100%. Don't give a shit what people think or what they want to say. If I'm not interested, couldn't be bothered. I'm just like that. 
So, so it's 100% nothing. Yep. Always been like that. Yeah. Even when you're sliding down a, a hill with a fairy liquid on it on a plastic yeah. sheet. Yeah, <laughs> we were in it's 100% there as well. nothing. Um, <laughs> sums you up. Go on. <laughs> so there you go. So you get, you get quite good at it, right? Yeah. And obsessive with it. Again, this is 100% yeah, a nothing exactly. thing that's coming through. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So you end up going down to Thai- Thailand. Yeah. Yep. So I went to Thailand. To meet your sister. Yeah. And a friend of mine who was living on the island, it's a diving island called Kotal. Yeah. On the east coast of scuba Thailand. Diving. Yeah, scuba yeah. diving. Um, and then when I got there, I thought, oh, you know, Muay Thai is Thailand. I'd been there once before for World Champs in 2004. Um, what, so, to watch it or to partake? Partake in Muay Thai World Champs, so amateur actually, ones. You'd actually fought in a world champion? Yeah, it's amateur league, but the world champion. Don't give me the amateur stuff. <laughs> You're fighting it's in totally a world champion. totally different way of fighting. <laughs> in yeah, Thailand, yeah. they don't even really have amateur league. No, and also they don't wear any covers, do they? They don't no. wear any, uh, any pads now, any no. protection, no, headgear or anything. Yep. Yeah, so go on. So, anyway. so I thought... Uh, I'm yeah. here. I might as well, you know, get some. When exercise. was the last time you'd actually kicked or punched? I hadn't trained for more than a year. It's a long time in a yeah. level that you, you know, you'd be yeah. involved in. That's a very long time. Yeah, and I missed moving your body like that. Yeah. So, so I went down. I found the one and only Muay Thai gym there called Island Muay Thai, um, owned by a guy Pitun, Thai guy, and I went down there and I arrived. And I was like, "Can I do some training?" She said, yeah, sure. I mean, you can. That's their business is to train tourists. Um, so I did one training session, super unfit. And at the end of the training session, Pitun said to me, hey, you're quite good. Do you want to do a fight in 10 days' time? <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> so, of course I will. Nut. So I was so like, what? yeah, why not? <laughs> so you did said you said yes? Yeah. Of course, I was like 25 and crazy, but... Uh, I said, yeah, and then I stayed for 10 days, trained for the fight, after a year and a year off. Yeah. Uh, did the fight. So was this against who? This is an amateur fight? No, this is full professional, professional fight. Professional fight. No pads, nothing, just eight-ounce gloves. Bosh. That's it? Yeah. And um, Against against another tie? Yeah, against a tie. Yeah. Um, I think four rounds of two minutes. Yes. So it's not too long. Well, it feels long when you're doing you're getting, how, heavy, how hard you're getting <laughs> yeah, kicked. Exactly. And how hard you're getting hit. And elbows. It's elbows as well, isn't it? Yeah. Elbows, knees. I, and no, there's no headgear. No, nothing. No body armor. No. But that, did, yeah, it didn't really ever bother me not having any pads on. I once fought with six ounce gloves. That's horrible. Because they land a bit you heavier. Could, yeah, you can really hear it in your head when it lands. <laughs> I'd hate to know what MMA fight, fights feel like. Oh, yeah. Well, thank God I've never found out and I don't intend to, not on my age. Yeah. Moving swiftly on, though. So there you are. You have your fight, your first professional fight. Yeah, that went well. Well. Um, better for you than it did th- for the, the opponent. I think opponent. I knocked it out, but I can't remember with what. Right. So everyone's really happy. We all go out, get drunk, drink lots of buckets, you know, what it's like, Thailand. And um, then Pitun said, that was great. Do you want to do another fight in three weeks' time? So and now I loved it. So I was like, yeah, sure. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Right. Um, I'll do another fight. So I stayed into that one. And anyway, cut two ended up staying on there for for a couple of years, I think. Say that again, a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. So you end up So you start off on the farm in Joburg, then you go international modeling, then you do you pick up 
Muay Thai and you fight in a world champions. Then you go with Buddhist monks <laughs> yeah, and in, live in India for a bit. And now you go to an island in Thailand and you end up staying two years as a professional Muay Thai fighter. How many fights did you have? Do you know? Any idea? In total, I've, got, I've had 25, but that's including the three amateur fights. That's still a lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, and not in Muay Thai terms. Man, those oh, well, those yeah. boys have fought like three, four hundred times. It's crazy. But you doing do you it remember you win, you, you win in losses or do you not want to talk about I've, it? No, I've had 20 wins, five losses. It's better than most by some way. But so you became one of the biggest stunt women in Hollywood, right? Let's just list some of the films. Burma Conspiracy, Safe House, The Great British Story, Dread. Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's where you met your husband, David. Yes. Mad Max, Fury mm -hmm. Road, and Resident Evil, mm -hmm. the final chapter, 2016. Now, they call that the final chapter. It was nearly your final chapter, wasn't it? Yep, almost. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. So you're one of the best stunt women in the business at this point. You're doubling the biggest stars, the A listers, and, and you're doing Resident Evil. And you've been asked to do a particular motorcycle stunt, right? With no, obviously, no headgear on. Yeah. Right. So talk me through it. Um, yeah. So what we were supposed to do on that day was a fight scene on top of a moving vehicle, like a mess, like a small lorry. Um, but that scene, the, it was a Saturday and we weren't supposed to originally shoot that day. It was rehearsal day. But then that changed, and we're going to shoot that day. So we, the whole of the next week was sunny blue skies. So that whole scene was supposed to be sunny blue skies with the fight on top of the moving vehicle. Um, but that morning, that Saturday morning, it rained. It wasn't supposed to rain, but it was raining all day. And we're in South Africa, by the way, yeah? Yeah, we're in South Africa. Um, so we're shooting in Johannesburg, and we're supposed to do this fight on top of the vehicle. Um, can't do it because it's raining. So, you know, our producers are like... Yeah. Um, time is money. So. I'm looking at <laughs> Sorry, all producers in the room. Yeah. Not all producers, but Most. film ones. Time is money. We've got all these crew here. They're all getting paid. Let's do something it's else. pouring into rain. Everyone's let's... standing underneath a bridge trying to keep out of the rain. Um, so what can we do? So they decided, let's shoot some motorbike stuff. 
To be honest, really stupid because the motorbike scene comes directly off from the, you basically finish the fight on the vehicle, jump on a motorbike, which is on the side of a vehicle, wheelie the motorbike and zoot off. Mm. Um, So it's the same scene, same weather. Anywho, I'm like, yep, can ride the motorbike in the rain, it's freezing, but it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Um, So the scene was, there's a long road a desolate road, and it's blocked off. There's nothing else. There's some um, car debris on the side to make it look like it's a pop- apocalyptic world. Mm-hmm. Um, long road. Uh, there's a bridge on this side, um, and there's a bridge about 800 meters on the far end. What we're supposed to do was I was supposed to start at the bridge on the far end, sitting mm-hmm. on my own on, on the motorbike with one assistant director to give me the call. Cute. Yeah. Um, then there was, uh, from the crew side, the crew bridge, there was an action vehicle, which is an SUV for those listening that don't know. It's an SUV with a crane off the top of the SUV. And a crane can move in all sorts of directions. And this one it was on the side of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, it was starting, uh, on the end of the crane is a camera. Yep. The camera was starting low on the ground as they drove forward towards me. So they're moving. Yeah, they're moving Crane's forward. Crane's moving. Like that. So this is the vehicle. Yeah. Crane with a camera arm, massive camera. So we're talking pieces of metal that are this big, aren't we? Yeah. They're like, look, a bit like this thing it's here, huge. Right? It's I can't remember a... how long, but it's huge yeah. and long. Yeah. Um. So they were supposed to start with the camera scooping along the ground, so low to the ground. And then as I drive towards it, so now we're in closing speeds, as I come toward it in a safe distance away, it lifts up and goes over the top of me. So you've got a closing speed of what? Well, I was going about 70. They You're were going, going about 70? Kilometers an hour, not miles. They were going about 45 kilometers an hour. So you got an enclosing speed of 125 kilometers an hour, which is huge. Yeah, it's 100, nearly 100 miles an hour. Yeah, right? but if something, if you work out something, if you keep everything, which is supposed to, have, this is how you do stunts. You work, something sa- you work out something safe, then you don't change a thing. Because if you change one thing, it changes, changes the safety of the stunt. So so I stayed exact same spot, same way you take off. Everything's exactly the same. Um, what I didn't know was that the, um, there was things changed without – they changed things without making me aware of it. They changed the camera lens – which then changes the distance that they mm, see the me. Length, yeah. So change the time that they lift the boom. And then they change the timing to lift the boom. They decided to lift the boom, the crane, mm. one beat later, which in those enclosed speeds is over 33 meters without telling me. If they had told me, what, what, I specifically well. would have said, no, I know where the thing lifts. We don't have 33 meters. If you're stuck to exactly the same, fine. But you can't change anything. So off I go, expecting the exact same thing. They, they drive towards me, boom, on the floor. And then they Correct. just don't lift it in time and drive the, the camera and the boom straight into my head and my upper left side of my body. Take me off the bike. The bike goes forward. And that was it. What do you remember of that? Luckily, very unluckily for them, but luckily for me, I remember the whole day except for the impact. Um, and then apparently 
I don't know how, but I was conscious and I was trying to get up. I don't remember that, but I remember one second of seeing the roof of an ambulance. I don't remember knowing it's an ambulance, but I remember seeing the roof. So on my left-hand side of my face, it's called degloving. I don't know if you've ever looked at it on the internet. It's horrific. And you can it's a small scar now. Well, you've, you've healed it's incredibly. faint yeah, compared yeah. to what it what happened. I degloved my side, side of my face so you could see my teeth through the cheek. So you lifted cheek. everything off, all the yeah, muscle, separated this all way. the skin. What did it do to your eye? I mean, well, you're lucky I, you've kept your eye, I right? I broke, yeah, I had shards of glass all in my eye. Luckily, I can see. I broke, uh, this shattered this whole bone here. Cheekbone. And then, yeah. So I go in my, so yeah. eyebrow and cheekbone, which they rebuilt. It's not exactly the same, but it's pretty much the same. Pieces of that went through my ear, so I couldn't hear for a long time. So pieces of your cheekbone went through your ear? Yeah. Yeah. My ear canal. Oh, man, I've got paralysis on my left-hand side because my – then they're scraping my face, then hitting my shoulder while your head's still going forward like that. Yeah. I mean, you actually rip five nerves out of your spinal cord by the root, which supplies this top left side of your body. So that's all paralyzed. You can't put them back in your spine. Then I had brain bleed, brain swelling. Um, I had severed this brachial artery here, so lots of internal bleeding. So inside you've severed an artery, yeah. so you're actually bleeding. I think it just pulled so hard that it split. It. Yeah. Um, and then so I had internal bleeding and so swelled so much that it caused my lung to collapse. Yeah, because you're breathing into a cavity. That's what happens. It's, yeah. it, it's basically the blood inside your body pushes down onto your yeah. lungs to the point that it can't actually expand, right? Yeah. Because people die, obviously. Yeah. Um, then I had le- several broken ribs, pretty much all of them on my left-hand side. Broken humerus, both my forearm bones broken, open fracture, and then a big piece of bone missing that we never found, like this size, nine S- centimeters. Say that, say that again. <laughs> There was a piece of You're one laughing, of my forearm bones. I know, a bit it's of your not bone missing that big and it was never found. So it's somewhere yeah. in South Africa still. Yeah. There's always been a little bit, a little bit of you my thumb, in that, Africa. My thumb was amputated. They found my thumb and then the medical guy brought it in the next day. He's like, I found the thumb. <laughs> it was too late to put it on. But um, so it's, it, Isn't it amazing that your body put itself into basically into a, such shock and I, and I'm sadly, I've seen this in other parts of the world, in Afghanistan, etc. People have, have, you know, literally been blown up, and they've been having a conversation. It's not until you've got to get, well, not necessarily me, but people have to get to them that quickly to put the morphine in before the shock drops and yeah. everything else kicks in. The pain yeah. kicks in. Yeah. I mean, the amount of pain. And you decided to get up. You tried to get up. So it's basically, degloved your face. So it's ripped off everything off your face. It sent your cheekbone back through the back of your ear. It's ripped. They had to put, I remember reading something, that they had to put the nerves back in your, into your eye socket, didn't they? Didn't they? Using tweezers. They had to try and trace No, they them. had, they, what that story is, I think, is they, so this is all crushed here. So they had to build like a little cage. You had to mimic my cheekbone. And then they used tweezers to get all the little shards of bone to try and rebuild the side. There's a few gaps still, but it's pretty much the same, I guess. Um, and then, like, actually the thing that saved me, which most doctors told me at the time, was how fit and strong I was mm. because my my, sho- my shoulder blade was shattered. And they so say the that... your scapula, that big bit of bone. Yeah, just- shattered. And that's from a frontal impact, and apparently that's 
really rare, like to shatter that from frontal sure. impact. Um, but because my, all my muscles are so strong from so many years of boxing, it kept everything together. He said otherwise it would have You'd lost it. Amputated my whole shoulder on was, on impact. Well, you travel 100 miles an hour, hitting yeah. a piece, a solid piece of metal. Yeah, it's crazy. And then I I remember being in a coma, which is hell, literally fucking hell. It's the worst place I've ever been, is in a coma. And when I woke up eventually after three weeks, when I could, was able to talk, I would say to my husband. In a very small voice, I was like, don't let them put me back in there. It was fucking horrible. I was just having like hallucinations, like nightmares all the time. But the the darkest, darkest, darkest ones, was it was so horrible. I can still remember them so well now. It's horrible. So many, there was lots of like rape, lots of sexual, dark sexual things in where I was humiliated and people would string me up on walls. But I'd gone to that place myself and I felt so bad because of my husband. Once, I had a massive spinal operation. And this was, this was worse than the original, actually, hospital thing. I had a massive spinal operation, which went wrong. I had to do it again. It was, it was fucking hell again. And um, they gave me lots of morphine, reacted badly, and I, I literally thought while I was awake, that everybody was a zombie, not in a funny way, in a fucking scary way. And I tried to escape the hospital, but I was pinned to the bed. And I saw a neck brace out of the corner of my eyes. And I thought, if I could get to that neck brace, I can escape. So I was swinging my legs up to try and swing my body up to get out, but I couldn't do it. So eventually, I put the blanket over my head and I thought, oh, I'm just going to wait for somebody to eat me. And then... um Somebody came, a nurse, and I thought, I thought oh, oh, shit, she's rescuing me. So she wheeled me off, and she took me to this room. And I thought, oh, she's taken me to a hotel. And I was like, oh, this is mine and Dave's new apartment. So then I'm waiting there, and I'm waiting for the zombies to come find me in this apartment on, like, the 11th floor. And then Dave walks in, and I just burst out crying. I was like, oh, my God, is this real or not? Like I, I had no idea. It was so fucking horrible. And so I'd have strange hallucinations all the time like that. So how – look, I know that your family is very important to you, but, you know, your husband, he supported you through this, hasn't he? How important is he? <laughs> Sorry. I told you I'd cry. <laughs> Well, the weird thing is, I never cry. Hey, I'm joining you. <laughs> the weird no, thing what is, you got, but there's a moment that you talk about because you're in you're in a coma, and so you've got pipes, you've got half your face missing, you've got staples, stitches, you're shattered, your body's fucked. I've got half a head of hair. Yeah, you've got <laughs> you half a head basically, head. Yeah. and you're doing this to your arm, right? Even yeah. though you're in in Dante's Inferno, there, you know whatever's going on in, in that head and all that poison that's in your head and the poison that's been pushed into your system and you're doing that to your left arm and he sees that. And that's a hard moment for him, right? Yeah, I imagine. The whole thing was, I think, in a way, even worse for him and my family than it was for me because they've got to watch it. But he, he knew that there was, you knew that there was something wrong with your arm, Yeah, right? apparently so I, was, I still had a tube in my throat um, and then 
so they weren't allowed to talk to me for some time or even touch me. But when while I came out of the, when I came out of the coma, when I saw the tube in my throat, I kept pointing to my arm, just to tell him. And then I think I tried to get out once that I need to start physio tomorrow, but I didn't know what was that it was paralyzed, and nobody had the heart to tell me. I think. So, so you didn't know it was paralyzed. No. Well, they knew. I didn't know, but they also because all these nerves being ripped out of your uh, yeah out of your back out of spinal cord. So, but my husband was absolutely determined that we will find a doctor in the world, in America, he tried a lot, and in England, that can fix it. But you soon come to the conclusion that they can't fix it. When I, when I was quite certain myself that there's nothing they can do, um, I just wanted to take it off. That is, because, because that is, that is a big decision. Not when you're in that position. Really? Like it was holding me back so much. I could not stand up for more than a minute or two. And anyway, I had a big piece of bone missing, which we had to take one of my shin bones to replace that. I was like, I'm not chopping the rest of my body. Yeah. And then forever I have to carry this withered old arm around. I was like, what's the point of that? Just take it off and let's go. And and you've you sort of made a decision, Livia, not to have a prosthetic, right? Have well, you? I Is can't, that permanent? Yeah. Is that a per- I, I, I mean, just, it's a permanent decision. You don't want to have one. Yeah, I can't be asked. Like, I've got way too much going on. I'm not bothered. The only thing that a prosthetic does is for looks, and I don't give a shit because it doesn't look cool, does it? It's a big old foam arm. I can't have a robotic one because I can't even wear a hoodie. It's too heavy for my shoulder. Right. So I've got a friend who's a sound guy. I'm sure Kip won't be talking about this. But he's soundy. And he's worked on lots of films. He's been with me around the world, and he uh, he, he blew his arm off. Uh, his arm got blown off, and he used the clipper. Sometimes right. he has tapped me on the head a couple of times with it, and that's what <laughs> I have to say. Uh, I probably deserved it at the time. I think I definitely deserved <laughs> it in a bar in South Africa, actually. Uh, actually, no, in Kenya. Um, but he uses the stretch in his back to be able to draw the clipper and open the clipper. So oh, he right. does that, and it just closes and opens. Yeah. But could you do that? And would you want that? I mean, well, do you want you'd like have a, to take it's the, very piratesque. You know, it looks like a pirate's. Yeah, I do like hook. them. I would like. I went to the like the, all the top places to try and investigate about it, and even one of the producers from Marvel that I'd worked with before in my film career, they he phoned me and he was put me in touch with this Open Bionics, which they're working with to make no, right. um, superhero for you know forearms and hands for kids without uh, hands. I could. Anyhow, they don't actually make, you know, shoulder, elbow, and wrist joints yet. And I would never be able to take the weight. And also, there's not many people that actually use it because you just want to get on with things. You can't – it takes a long time to learn, you know. You, you've, got to, you've got to use other muscles. You've got to use a tricep to move your fingers and things like that. So, so I have to ask the question, um, have you received any compensation from the people who made Resident Evil? No, I haven't received any compensation, unfortunately. How much money did the film gross? Well, the film, that film itself grossed over $300 million. $300 million? Yep. And they haven't offered you any compensation, really? No, I haven't received anything. Resident Evil? Yep. A- aptly named? <laughs> yep. That's disgusting. Yeah, I think so. We talk. 
we're talking about this now again. I mean, you you, you know, you've been a Muay Thai fighter, Thai boxer, sorry. You know, you've you, you've been an international model. You've been, uh, you know, a Buddhist monk for a bit. You know, <laughs> you've seen the world. You've done all those things, and now you're in a situation where all those things that you've done, you're possibly never going to be able to do again. But that's you, the hardest how, thing. How how do you how do you how do you overcome that? How do you, how do you? I don't think you ever do actually. That is the hardest part to take away. Can take away my looks. Who cares? Can take away pieces of my body. That's fine. Well, you know, not fine, but I can deal with that. <clears throat> the lifestyle change is was and is the hardest part because we haven't talked about it. But I was. The love of my life was motocross. Absolutely fucking loved motocross. And, um, you know, stunts and traveling and martial arts and, you know, always using my body and traveling and just having fun and living life to the fullest. Um, and now I knew I, was, I just couldn't do any of that and I had to live a very sedentary life. Um, Does that, that drive is the driving you part. nuts? Driving you nuts. That is the hardest part to deal with, but I think I, I think I'm I'm over that bit now. I found I always knew it would take me. I just need to find a new passion, as I'm sure you can tell. Passions drive me in yeah, life. Yeah, clearly. Um, so I just needed I needed the fucking time to to chill out and heal myself. I'll never heal properly. Uh, but I need time to be able to deal with that in my own mind. And then when I'm okay with that, then find some new passions in life that will drive me forward. So, But if it wasn't for the way that you're built, I think mentally and physically, I don't think yeah. you'd still be here. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I've seen you, as I say, I see you train. You put me to shame. Anyone to shame in terms of determination and also the pain that you're in. Also, you know, you, you said one thing to me before we started, and you said, You've got to remember, Ross. I sometimes get, I can't remember. That's still part and parcel of it. So it's, it's neurological yeah. and physical. Yeah. And the, the weird thing was, is from the brain trauma. So when I came out of the coma, I couldn't walk. I had to learn to walk again, like a baby. I couldn't actually sit because I, my, your brain doesn't work with your muscles anymore. It co completely bashes out your coordination and all that memory. So all the motor neurons that get sent yeah. down to lift my arm up, move my foot, you have to move learn my it foot, again. move my foot. So I could talk and move my head, but I couldn't sit. And also I couldn't didn't have the strength. I was so weak and well, I had to learn to walk again. And then when coming back to martial arts, to kickboxing, um, it took me a while, you know, to – and well, as so you said, when I, when I train – a lot of people think, oh, she's fine now because she's training and she's horse riding and all this stuff. It's like, it, you don't just do it like a normal person does it. It's fucking Twice. mentally hard work just to get there and back, you know? I want to ask you a question now. You talk about enlightenment and we talk about a path, um, you know, in Buddhism. How do you reconcile that, your, you know, your faith in Buddhism and where you are now? Yeah. Well, what enlightenment is, is a state of mind. It's not like in Christianity, we are outside God, Buddha. Buddha was a human mm. and he, he was able to go to really deep with himself, to the deepest level of consciousness, to see what's there, to see what he is at the d truest nature. Um, so what 
enlightenment is, is to be able to settle in that deepest nature so that and at that point every you allow everything in life to just be without attaching extreme emotions and everything you can have emotions and you allow them to be but you allow everything to be free I don't know if that makes sense or not. But that does sort of. But what I'm saying is, so how has it helped you overcome the pain and 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 facing the future? I would say, what is the future? For well, in the in the with pain, you know, at the really bad phases when I'm just lying in hospital, screaming inside with pain. I think how it helps there's a instead of. Instead of getting to that state where you just want to escape and you get into like a panic attack, mm. you just want to escape your body because the thing is you can't. You can't escape neuropathic pain. You can't escape, I can't escape this body. So it allows you to not get to that point, to allows you to almost in a way realize this is where I am now. I'm in a really bad phase. I'm in a lot of pain, but this is what it is. And a and it takes that edge off so you can settle in that moment without letting it completely overwhelm you. And then, you know, I know that everything in life is also a massive theme in Buddhism. Everything changes all the time. You and I have changed since we've been here. We're mm. different human beings. Our cells mm. have changed. Even these microphones have changed since we've been here, yeah. but just very slowly. So I know that things will change, you know, especially now. Like one day I might be pain. I know tomorrow I might not be in as much pain or might change all the time. Mm. So it allowed me to just be in that moment and knowing that it will change. I don't know what the future holds, but I'll see you when I get there. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Kempcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Kemp and on Instagram at Ross Kemp TV. This has been a Freshwater and the Chance of Collective production. Thanks to the team at One Fine Play. And until the next episode, goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.